Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. And I'm with ABC 57's Allison Hayes for Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Tuesday, January 2nd of 2024. Remember, it used to be a big deal. You'd always forget what year it was on January 1st when you write checks. But <laughs> do we write checks anymore? Do we have to worry about this anymore? I don't even know what day it is today, so I don't think it matters what year it is. All right. Well, we welcome you to 2024, and if the rest of 2024 for college football fans is anything like the two games yesterday, man, sign me up for next fall because that was some fun, fun football to watch. I think a lot of people around these parts that root for Notre Dame probably didn't like the outcome of the first game, but it was a wonderful game. We've got Michigan and Washington playing for the national championship. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And this is our first sports beat since the Sun Bowl on Friday. So Alice and I will kick around some Notre Dame football conversations from the largest bowl victory in Notre Dame history as the Irish cruise by Oregon State 40 to eight, so we'll have that conversation coming up. Notre Dame men's basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury is going to join me live at 6.30 tonight. He's got to be a happy guy. His team put together a whale of a performance on Saturday, hammering a team that Notre Dame had no luck against for years in Virginia, and they put up 76 on the Cavaliers. And Love Marcus, it. Yeah, Marcus Burton was named Rookie of the Week by the ACC this afternoon. So the Pengrad had 15 and 8 in that ball game. So we'll talk about Micah. Maybe the team got the message after his comments after the Citadel game. If they didn't, man, they scared me, his comments. That got my attention, the way he really scoffed at his basketball team. So we'll hear from Micah coming up at 6.30, and we'll have some sports wagering talk to wrap up the program 
here tonight. Well, first off, do you have a good holiday? I did. It was really nice. We All of our family's right here local, so good. we didn't have to do a lot of running around. It was just nice to be able to be home and be with family and not be all stressed. But I'm also very glad that the holidays are now over officially and we can move on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're fun while they're here. Then it's like, all right, let's get rolling once again. This is the time of year you feel like you haven't worked a whole lot. Yeah. Now you go back to work, you're like, wow, I got to work Ooh. four days this week. <laughs> this is torture. <laughs> well, hope everybody out there had a great holiday as well. And I know you enjoyed the Sun Bowl. And let's get to some of that conversation right now in our hat trick of opening topics here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat as we broadcast live on 960 AM WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com, the WSBT radio app. We've got the two-camera shot of the studio. You can see Alice and I jabbering away on the Twitch app. A couple of notes really quick before we get to our topics. I do want to mention that since we were last on the air, Notre Dame safety Xavier Watts announced he's returning to the Irish for the 2024 campaign. The Gursky Award winner led the nation with seven picks, started all 13 games, 52 tackles, 11 passes defended, a fumble recovery, and a forced fumble. What a big addition. You get Howard Huge. Cross back. You get Riley Mills, Jack Kaiser, and an added bonus as Xavier Watts, who dazzled us all season long with big plays, is coming back once again. You get the feeling this defense, which was awesome this year, could take another step forward in 2024. What a huge piece of that puzzle to return, to have all those guys together, and then to have him and Benjamin Morris, Morrison working yeah. together again. And it's going to set Notre Dame up for success in the future as well because you've got those two guys playing and they can kind of help tutor and, and bring the younger guys along because without Xavier, you'd be really missing a huge piece of that puzzle. And just his ability to be so productive and cause those turnovers, but they directly resulted yeah. in scores, whether he ran them in himself or, or on the next possession or next drive that they were able to capitalize on it. So huge for them. And I'm so excited for Xavier. I mean, he's worked his butt off and he has earned all of the recognition that he is getting he accepted the change offered to him from wide receiver to defensive back and boy has turned out to be one heck of a football player and talking to my buddy eric hansen from insideindiesports.com this afternoon he was looking at the national stats with tennessee putting up some big numbers on iowa notre dame's going to finish top five in total defense wow and you think about Number one in pass efficiency defense, top five in total defense, across the board, great. And they didn't have an outstanding true pass rush. Right. Al Golden put together a lot of blitzes to help to get to the quarterback. So these are mammoth numbers without really that good old-fashioned four-man pass rush. Just shows you the job Al Golden did. Give him a raise, give him extension, keep him keep around him. here. Because in a presidential year, the Golden Denbrock ticket is the one I want to back in 2024. I mean, you talk about experience and success throughout their careers to have those two guys as our coordinators. I don't remember the last time you could go to each game knowing you've got those type of coordinators ready to go to take on the competition. That's sort of the shoe I keep waiting for to drop. I, I'm worried. I just, I've been thinking <laughs> Al Golden is gone for months now. So the fact that he still isn't, has not left and he's still here is good. Is, is it, is he going to stay? Is someone going to come and poach him? I, I just, I hope he sticks around. Well, the NFL coaching carousels probably going to start after yes. week 18 this coming weekend so all the firings will happen the hirings after that 
and that's when probably yes. someone's going to try to to poach him out of Notre Dame. But we'll see. Maybe he sees something very special in the upcoming year, and he'll want to stick around. And if he does, Golden Denbrock 2024, <laughs> print the T-shirts. All right. Also, one other thing I want to get to. Michigan beat Alabama last night, 27-20 in overtime to reach the title game. Tommy Reese, our old offensive coordinator and quarterback, was the offensive coordinator for Alabama. He's catching a lot of grief for the final play call where Milrow was stuffed at the four-yard line. I will say this to defend Tommy. The snap was low. Yes. That didn't help. The left guard in the center got burned. They got beat. So there actually was a hole being formed on the left side of the offensive line that had he had his eyes up rather than chasing after the ball he might have saw. So I don't think it was an awful play call. I didn't like the running back going in motion because I think it telegraphed what was going to happen, but there was still a little path. And had the snap been better, they might have scored on that play. So I'm not going to hammer Tommy like a lot of people are for that final play call. Let's remember there were two timeouts called before that final play, and Nick Saban had the headset on. He heard the play call. He didn't change it. Yeah, he If he didn't like it, it, he would have said something. My problem really was, and I've been hearing this from everyone also, oh, terrible play call, Tommy Reese, blah, blah, blah. But when you have the offensive line play that they had all game, the only real problem I have with it is that that type of run relied on the offensive line to make it work, and that O-line really was getting the butt kicked all game too. So it was just like, oh, why, why put it in their hands when you have a dynamic player like him? I'd like to see an RPO. Give yeah. him an option yeah. rather than just a run, but it almost worked. It almost worked. But Not a reliable passer necessarily, though. So Very you. true. Very true. But the irony of the whole thing was a guy by the name of J.J. McCarthy was playing quarterback for Michigan yesterday. A guy that Tommy Reese barely looked at went to his high school he was back in his car within seconds and ended up taking Tyler Buckner and how ironic is it Tommy Reese was denied a trip to the national title game by the quarterback that he didn't think was the best guy for the University of Notre Dame and I know some people we were talking about this on Twitter last night I said I would play the audio once again But this is our old friend, Carter Carls, who used to work for the South Bend Tribune. He was the recruiting guy for the Tribune during this cycle in which Tommy Reese was looking for that next quarterback and took Tyler Buckner over J.J. McCarthy. And here's the story behind the story again. This was Carter Carls on the program about a month and a half ago. Drew Pine, not very good. Tyler Buckner didn't ever show the potential. Uh, Brendan Clark didn't end up being any good. So... You had like three straight misses of Phil Dracovic. That's another one. I mean, it's pretty bad when you think about it under Tommy Reese, the quarterbacks yeah. they recruited. How'd J.J. McCarthy so, turn out, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember – this is actually a funny story. When uh, I was covering Notre Dame for you guys, um, I got a DM from J.J. McCarthy uh, – I probably shouldn't share this, but he was oh, basically please. Come on. Oh, you got to say it now. He's like, oh, if Notre Dame offered me, I would run to South Bend right now and accept the offer and commit. And I was like, whoa. And so I was kind of keeping an eye on that. And then, you know, they ended up choosing Buckner over him. Ah. So, yeah, that. sorry. Sorry, Notre Dame fans. 
So there you go. J.J. would have done anything to come to Notre Dame. Now, he's not going to throw for 5,000 yards. He's really good in that Michigan system. Some people are saying, well, he's not that good. He's got a great offensive line and Blake Corum. But I think he would have been an upgrade over what we had here in South Bend. But it didn't work out that way. We've got Riley Leonard now. But that's a fun little side story that J.J. McCarthy, a guy that had Notre Dame memorabilia in his bedroom as a kid, wanted to come here. And Tommy Reese said, nah. Tyler Buckner's my guy. Wouldn't it be nice to know also if we could really hear from Tommy and he tell the truth, tell us the truth. <laughs> what is it about Buckner that he was so in love with? I mean, he brought him with him to Alabama and, and it just didn't work out. And we, you know, we see that Buckner probably is not a power five quarterback. Yeah, I, I think it was something to do with the workout he had here at Notre Dame and Tommy just kind of fell in love. Hmm. And that's that. That's the way it worked out. Yeah, so. just imagine the consistency, too, of of having a guy like J.J. and yeah. having him for all of these years and developing with him and how much different that could have played out as well. We've had no consistency in South Bend for this entire stretch. See, that could lead to a conversation or a Twitter question. Who would you rather have, J.J. McCarthy or Riley Leonard? J.J. Mm-hmm. McCarthy. I'd have to think about that one. I just thought of that question right now, but I don't know. That's That's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> I may have to think about that, ponder just a little bit. All right, now let's get to our topics. Let's go back to Friday's Sun Bowl in El Paso. Allison, Notre Dame beat Oregon State 40-8. to Your biggest takeaway from the Notre Dame victory. The sky is not falling. <laughs> the mass exodus had everyone completely panicking and freaking out, and the Irish still have good players, and the future does look brighter than I kind of expected. You know, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect in the, in the bowl game. I thought Notre Dame would get the win. I thought it was going to be a little bit of an even playing field with a lot of the players that Oregon State was losing as well for the game. But I, I just thought they played so well, and Jelly had an opportunity to show what he's capable of doing. He played really well. Uh, the running backs played really great. And not these huge, giant numbers or, or huge, giant runs, but just to play so well against – Oregon State's defensive line, who that the defense was basically intact, and, and that was a good defense. They really shut down the run against Oregon in the regular season. So that you can't yeah. look past that. Like you need to give the running backs their their due on on that performance because what a what a just a great overall offensive performance. And then the defense too. And wow, you know you've got so many of those defensive players coming back. So it was nice to kind of see some of the younger guys and inexperienced guys get some real. Experience experience and and show that they have some ability and then you see on the defensive side where you've got guys with all that experience and they played the way they should have and they're all coming back next year you know and it's like all right so I'm feeling pretty good (laughs) you know my biggest takeaway probably isn't the most important one but I was really impressed with how composed and in control of the offense quarterback Steve Angeli was for a guy that has been a backup playing in mop-up roles. You know, I laid this out before the game. I was really interested to see what he looked like with the defense focusing on him, trying to make him play left-handed, take away his strengths, force him into doing things that maybe he doesn't want to do. And Oregon State did have an outstanding defensive line. And I thought Angeli played the game beautifully. He was accurate. Again, he just seemed so composed, like he was just whistling, walking through the park, was not overly 
jittery. I think he had a nice smile on his face a couple of times. He was enjoying the opportunity. And who knows if this is going to help him down the line with his career at Notre Dame. Maybe getting something on tape helps him become a starter somewhere else if that's what he wants to do. Because I think we feel like there might be a quarterback competition, but it's going to be Riley Leonard's job once we get to the fall. So I'm just really impressed with his accuracy. I loved how he lowered his shoulder and ran over that Oregon State defensive back. If you're the long-term starter, you probably shouldn't do that. But you know what? You don't get to play much. Show what you can do. I just really love the way Steve Angeli ran the offense. And if you didn't know anything about Notre Dame football, he looked like a starting quarterback for the Fighting Irish. He sure did. Really impressed. So now let's kind of break it down in a different way. Allison, what impressed you the most in particular about the Irish offense that was able to have such a very productive day, including in the second half? It was angelic because I think that was the biggest question mark to me. I mean, obviously we didn't know what was going to happen without estimate as well. And I, I just touched on how impressed I was by the overall run game, but just angelic getting his opportunity and making the most of it. He was 15 of 19 passes for 232 yards and three touchdowns. And he didn't really get rattled. He he took a couple of sacks, but you didn't see him look panicked Mm-mm. at any point. And so it was just a, an overall clean and solid performance from a guy who's not really had a fair chance yet. I, I do feel like, and this is something that people have been talking to me about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oh, he, is he going to get a chance? Is he going to be the starter? And I'm like, no, I don't think that he'll probably win that job. But I do hope that they give him a fair competition. And I, I don't know that he will. Uh, but I, I think that he proved that, hey, look, you gave me the, the chance. I'm the starter. And I went out and I I made the, I won the game. And so uh, to that respect, maybe that competition will more realistically be between him and Minchie for who's <laughs> yeah. number two, who's the backup. Yeah. But, uh, you know, does does he stick around? I think that's the biggest question. Does he stick around? Does Minchie stick around? Uh, but I, I just was I was so pleasantly surprised by that. You just had no idea what to expect. I think people kind of automatically are like, eh, he's not any good. He's not going to be as good. Riley's going to be better or, you know, Sam was better. But we've never really known because we've never had a chance to see Angeli play. And we got to see him play, and he played pretty darn good. If Riley throws the ball as accurately as Steve Angeli, this offense is going to be going to another level in 2024. I've been a little skeptical about Riley throwing the ball consistently. If he becomes a more consistent throw of the football, coupled with his running ability, I mean, this offense is going to be so difficult to defend. Now with an offensive coordinator that is not going to be stumped, and I think he's going to put his offense in the best position to succeed, I'm really excited. But I was most impressed with the offensive line because this was the big question mark going into the game without Joe Alt and without Blake Fisher at the tackle spots. Was this offensive line? Yeah, no Zeke Carell. Was this offense going to hold up against a really good Oregon State defensive line? This wasn't an opt-out defensive line. This was their guys. And I thought Charles Jagazaw at the left tackle spot was terrific. Tosh Baker, I thought, held his own very, very well. I know the Irish love Emil Wagner. He might be 
a tackle next year for this Fighting Irish football team. But to run the football as effectively as they did with a first-time starting quarterback against a proven Oregon State defensive line could not have been more impressed with the job of the offensive line. And it makes you feel good that if you have to go to the post with these five offensive linemen, and of course there's going to be some guys coming back from injury too, like Rocco Spindler, you got to feel pretty good about what this offense is capable of in 2024 because without Alton Fisher, it's a little scary. But after what I saw on on Friday, it makes you feel good that the Irish have some parts ready to go, and they still may add a tackle from the portal. But right now, first impression, you know what? It went okay. Well, and to kind of compare it to that Alabama-Michigan game, when and you look at offensive lines – there, that was a major weakness for Alabama, and I, in my opinion, that was the difference maker in the game for them. And so not to say that Oregon State's defense is as good as Michigan's D-line. Uh, Michigan's defense looked really good to me, uh, but I just think that that was such a such a question mark, and, and there was so much concern there, and, and you yep. lost so much talent. So I totally agree with you. What, what a great performance, and, and again, moving the team forward to the future. All right, now final part of this opening topic is how do you sum up the Irish defense's performance? Stout. Let's go. I loved it. <laughs> Held Oregon State to two rushing yards. I mean, come on. I loved that. Got a lot of pressure on the quarterback, uh, which was also nice. Uh, four sacks uh, by these guys. And, of course, Jordan Patello, he had a heck of a game. Uh, career high, five sacks or five tackles, a sack, and a quarterback hurry. So, And Jordan's kind of been one of those guys where, like, he's have a great game and then – you don't hear from him. And so it was nice to see him kind of get out there and, and get the job done and and uh, have a great game. He's coming back, too. That's another yep. part for next year. Yeah, I was just going to say a couple of words, and that is two yards rushing Whew. for Oregon State. Good to have Riley Mills and Howard Cross, Jack Kaiser coming back. And if this group can ever get one pass rusher off the edge to go with everything else, this unit can go to another level. Probably R.J. Oban's going to be the new Javante John Baptiste at the field defensive end spot. And we'll see if Botello can take another step as a pass rusher. But I'm really excited about the possibilities for the defense. And on paper right now, there aren't too many offenses that scare you on the schedule. Texas A&M has lost. So many people to the portal. DJU's going to Florida State. I don't think that scares Notre Dame that much. They faced him while he was at Clemson, had a great year at Oregon State. But I'd be more scared if Jordan Travis was coming back yeah. for Florida State. So For sure. And you play Army and Navy, Northern Illinois, Miami. I, there's, there's an opportunity to put up some stout defensive numbers if the schedule plays out the way it looks on paper right now. 10 and 2 gets you to the playoffs and I mean, I just don't see many teams that can knock them off on the schedule. No doubt. Based on what we see right now. They actually have a good opportunity in front of them and I yep. whereas just a couple of weeks ago I felt like, "Oh, I just I don't know, what are we going to have offensively?" And now I'm like, "Okay, this is a this is doable. This is manageable and, and they've got a lot of good pieces coming back and that makes that schedule look yep. that much better. Yep. All right. Now we'll just kind of break it down individually really quick. Our second topic, what Notre Dame player performances in the Sun Bowl got you thinking about 2024? How about a name or two on offense? Jadarian Price. 
Loved it. I, and the running backs as a whole. I, I was so impressed. Price, he had his first career 100-yard game, which was so nice to see. Um, then we had Jeremiah Love. He had 52 yards um, and a highlight reel of a touchdown catch, which was nice. And then, of course, Jabron Payne, he was able to grind it out and get those yards that they needed. They combined for 182 rushing yards and uh, got into the end zone for touchdowns twice. Uh, just so I think, you know, and if you got all three of those guys coming back, one, you might lose a guy. I, I, I think that's possible, but you still yeah. have other guys be, behind them coming back too, and Devin Ford. And so I just think that the Jadarian Price leading that unit, but overall just the running back core for me was uh, really, I was happy to see that. You know what? Good old Jordan Faison. Never disappoints, does yes. he? Yes. He's no longer a walk-on. He's no longer a lacrosse player. He's a Notre Dame football player. He's still a lacrosse player. But we don't need to mention him as the lacrosse player playing right. wide receiver or the former walk-on. This guy is a big-time football player, 115 receiving yards in the Sun Bowl, had another touchdown. And I just love the way he avoids tackles. You see his lacrosse skills come out. When he does those little spin moves, yes. that one play down by the goal line, he spun two or three times to avoid tackles. You can see where his experience as a lacrosse player helps him on the football field. And I'm really intrigued to see how he fits into the plans of this football team in 2024. It's hard to take him off the field. I know there's transfer guys coming in and great receivers in the freshman class coming in. All this guy does is make plays. He's fast as lightning. And who would have thought at the start of the year, Jordan Faison would be the offensive MVP of the Sun Bowl? Absolutely. I mean, crazy. Well, and, and that's something I want to touch on later on in the show. But, yeah, I mean, he was a guy that I had not really heard much about. Mm. You know, like you said, he's a walk-on and, and he's a, a lacrosse player. And it was like, wow, kind of, you know, here he is, another another big one. Oh, another, yeah. you know, having these big games. And then to come out in the bowl game. And, again, taking your opportunity when other guys – jump ship and they're moving on and oh does this bowl game matter it does it matters to guys that that played in it it mattered to, I, I guarantee you that's going to be one of the highlights of his entire career is that he was MVP of that bowl game you yeah. know so I, I loved it 115 yards on the day and the touchdown and just again another guy who makes you feel good about the future of the program what about someone on the defensive side of the football? Uh, well, uh, Jordan Botello, for sure. Uh, again, he's been kind of inconsistent. And so to see him have a good game like that. But then also Xavier Watts, Howard Cross, guys that are, are coming back and they're having those kind of games as well. It, it just it was exciting to see. So many guys have good games, yep. and then to be like, "Oh wow, well he's oh he's coming back, oh he's coming back too, oh he's coming back too." <laughs> Howard Cross that sack for loss of ten, like let's yeah. go, that was exciting. I'm just going to throw in Josh Burnham and Drake Bowen who combined on yes. the safety in the game. Burnham spent a little time at field defensive end; he could play Viper or that side. He's going to be a key part to next year. He might be the guy that takes the big step in 2024 and Drake Bowen has an opportunity to win a job this fall as well all right third and final opening topic what was more surprising Notre Dame men's basketball hammering Virginia 76-54 or the Irish women's basketball team losing at Syracuse 86-81 okay 
I'm going to talk about both of these, if you'll allow me. Uh, Definitely the most surprising to me was the men's team winning by 20-plus. It's just going to be that type of season for this team. I think we all kind of need to strap in and and just prepare ourselves. They're they're young, they're inexperienced, and a lot of the guys on that team are walk-ons, and they are going to lose some games that they maybe should win, like losing by 20 to the Citadel at home. Hmm. But it's – Micah is – Moving the team, I think, in the right direction. And I so I think when they're able to to move past a loss like that, to be able to take the honest to God's truth of a press conference that Micah had, and he said, if they don't like it, <laughs> I'll help them enter the transfer portal. I mean, and nobody wilted from that. Then that tells you you've got a yeah. good core, right? And those guys are going to fight and battle. And I've been saying this. I feel like this is a team that we're going to say – Maybe might be two years from now, but we're going to watch these guys develop and we're going to say, wow, I remember when Marcus was just a freshman and they struggled, but look at them now. And I'm so I'm really excited about the men's team for the future. And I think they're going to be fun to watch the women. Coincidentally, I just talked with Muffet McGraw about that loss today. She did that, called that game uh, for ESPN, but uh, she said, don't panic. She was like, this is the type of thing that happens at this time of year. She's like, everyone's gone. They have nobody to practice against. And so they they just are like, she said it happened to her. She remembers, I think, the 2018 season where they lost badly to Louisville hmm. and then went on to win the national championship that year. She's like, it's just this time of year when you don't have all of your people in, in place to they're a little rusty they and then they get into the game situation and it's like whoa you know rude awakening so don't panic everyone (laughs) yeah I'm gonna say the men's basketball team beating Virginia just because the Irish have had such little success against Virginia through the years Mike Bray always had a, a tough time scoring which was always weird as good as Mike was with offensive basketball and the parts that he had it just never worked against Virginia. And for this group who got read the riot act by their coach after the Citadel game, to come out and score 76 was just so surprising. It was a pleasant surprise. And women's basketball, I think there's just a little more parity. Syracuse has a really, really good guard, and she kind of took over. But for the Irish to win by 22 against a Virginia team that's not as good as they have been, sure. to be fair, but... I just didn't see that coming in a million years. After losing to the Citadel by 20, they played Maris, who's actually a pretty good mid-major. They got that victory, but to get up 13 to nothing, I I looked at my phone just at that time. I'm like, 13 to nothing? Notre Dame? What in the world? So congratulations, Coach Shrewsbury, and we'll talk to Mike in about an hour when he joins me here on WSBT Radio. Allison Hayes from ABC 57. I'm Darren Pritchett. When we come back, we've got a couple of Notre Dame topics to get to, including which was more impressive, 9-4 and four last year with Buckner and Pine or 10-3 and three this year with Hartman? We'll kick that around coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Progressive asks, what do a late-night pizza... I'm Darren Pritchett with ABC 57's Allison Hayes, and we are bringing you Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Tuesday evening. It is 18 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Irish basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury joins the program at right around 6.30. A little more Notre Dame football conversation. First chance, Allison, that we have spoken since Mike Denbrock became Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. 
quite a turn of events. Troy University wanted Jared Parker to be their head coach. He took that job. There's a vacancy. Phone call made Marcus Freeman to his old Cincinnati friend, Mike Denbrock. And Mike wants to come back here. His home in Michigan just a couple of hours away. And he loves this place. So Mike Denbrock is back for a third time on a Notre Dame football coaching staff. So what is your initial reaction to everything that took place leading to Mike coming back to South Bend? Awesome. I mean, how they hit the jackpot there. And after all the debacle from last season and and how it kind of blew up in their face, and then it was, oh, well, Jared was our guy all along. We, we believe he's going to be the best. And, and then you hear these different things that, you know, oh, well, they're not making any changes. He's staying. And uh, fans were up in arms over him staying. And so I just, the, the whole, everything about the way it played out couldn't have happened any better, really, for Notre Dame. And I love that one of the things that Freeman said was he has the ability to mold his offense to utilize his playmakers. And that's exactly what you have to be able to do, especially when you're taking guys in from the portal. When you're bringing yeah. in a quarterback every year from the portal, you've got to then utilize what you have. And they worked together at Cincinnati. You saw what he was able to do with Ritter at Cincinnati. And then to see him – now, I don't know how much he – had to do with Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman, but you to see him work with a guy who ends up winning the Heisman and they 547.8 yards per game of offense for LSU. I, I mean, that's, that is something and that's yeah. incredible. And so I just think it's such a great fit. And, and I think that Marcus Freeman needs a guy like Mike Denbrock with him. He is still very much learning on the job. And so he is surrounding himself with people that he is comfortable with, but who also have so much experience. And you, you talked about teasingly about the, the golden Denbrock ticket for 2024. I mean, those two combined, their experience, their veteran assistance now, and yeah. they know what they're doing, and they're proven. You need guys who are proven when you've got someone like Marcus who's not proven yet. He's still trying to prove himself, so love it. I, I was such a, a great pickup and such a perfect fit for the Irish. By the way, nice job by Coach Caduli calling the plays in the yeah. Oregon State game. I think a big difference is going to be this. The fact that when Parker got the job, Gina Gadouli had just arrived from Wisconsin and he was learning this offense as he was teaching it to Sam Hartman. He has worked with Mike Denbrock at Cincinnati, as has wide receiver coach Mike Brown. So there's not going to be that massive learning curve for the quarterback coach who once again is working with a brand new quarterback coming into the University of Notre Dame. So you just feel like Riley Leonard's going to have a really good shot to learn this offense and you take a look at Sam it was just the quarterback coach and he were learning together it was a difficult situation I'm sure Sam probably wishes he was in Riley's shoes right now going right. into this year knowing what he knows now but I'm just excited the fact that Mike Denbrock's proven and we're not going to see these massive splits where you're averaging almost 50 points per game against the weak teams but against yeah. the really good teams you're averaging 19 that's not going to happen under Mike Denbrock. He is going to put these players in the best position to succeed. And he's got a heck of a powerful running quarterback to work with in Riley Leonard. I think the passing skills will hopefully get better. But 
That's a Gino uh, job, right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. There's no I like doubt that about point that. that you made about him working with both Gino and Brown at Cincinnati as well. I mean, that that really that's huge for them to all have that familiarity with each other as well. I, that that's a great point. And that definitely I mean, it can't hurt. Right. It's that's only going to help that they're all familiar with each other. They they know what to expect from each other and probably how to push each other yeah. as well. And so they're not guessing at that throughout the season. They already have that. I'll always appreciate the fact Mike Denbrock was a defensive coach. So he understands what defenses are going to try to do to what he's planning. So he's the ultimate guy that as he is figuring out what he wants to do offensively, he's got a mindset of if I do this, the defense is probably going to do this. So I just always have appreciated the fact that Mike has spent a lot of time on the defensive side of the football. I think it helps him as an offensive coordinator. So what part of this year's Notre Dame football team has to take the biggest step before next year? Wide receiver. uh, That was the, probably the biggest sore spot. And so I think that's where you have to, that was a weakness on the team. You saw so many guys leave. Um, They're having a new coach coming in. So I, I think that's the biggest, they need to take a big step because you can have a great quarterback, but if you don't have any good wide receivers to throw to, you know, then you don't, you're not going to have much success. So, and you look at Washington and how good Michael Penix oh. is. Oh my gosh. I mean, that was, we haven't had a chance to talk about that, but to watch him in action and drop those dimes on his receivers, but he had solid receivers to throw to also, and they have that trust with each other. So I, I think, you know, Notre Dame doesn't really have that still. And, and we're going to hopefully see some of that get developed. Yeah. And then maybe these new pieces that they're bringing in from the portal can help as well. The chemistry between Penix and his wide receivers Ugh. You just don't see that every day at the collegiate level. And they're probably going to be the underdog again against Michigan. And I probably would side with Michigan that they're going to win the game. But it is not going to be easy because that Washington team, offensively, they're explosive. Defensively, they give up a lot of yards and a lot of points. But when the game is on the line, they always seem to be able to shut the door. But, yeah, you're right. That passing game for Washington, if Notre Dame could come up with something like that very, very soon – I'd be all in favor of that. And my biggest step for next year, I think wide receiver is the right way to go. I'll just follow that up, despite what I said a moment ago. The offensive line with those new tackles, making sure the edges are secure to protect your quarterback, and you got to be able to run the football for Mike Denbrock and Marcus Freeman. So even though we got some good stuff on Friday, big step coming for that Fighting Irish offensive line with two guys that are going to be off that line who are going to be playing in the NFL next year. Finally, what do you think about this? What season was more impressive for head coach Marcus Freeman? His rookie year – when the team went 9-4 and four, and your starting quarterbacks were Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine, or was it more impressive going 10-3 and three this year with Sam Hartman as your starting quarterback? I think that's a loaded question for sure. I'm going with 2022 because we just saw that both Buckner and Drew Pine are definitely not Power 5 quarterbacks so for them to go nine and four with those guys behind center especially drew i mean he it was essentially drew pine all season that he he did a lot and kept them alive and they really could have just completely fallen apart although we saw some games where they did fall apart but the this year felt more like a disappointment 
with Sam Hartman at going 10 and three, really nine and three, because he did not play or win that game in the right. bowl game. So he went nine and three. But yeah, I mean, the, the Sam Hartman season was disappointing. I felt so excited going in and it just didn't quite play out the way we all had hoped. This is tough and it is loaded. There's a lot of different parts that go into this. I look at 10 and three with a first time offensive coordinator and Jared Parker. That's... He also did not call the bowl game. So no Jared true. and no, no Sam. That's in true. Bowl They're game. nine and three. Yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> I just got to say that nine and four in 2022 might be more impressive, but I hate to say that knowing you lost to Marshall and Stanford uh, on your home field, uh. but you won nine games with two quarterbacks that are not power five starting quarterbacks. Who aren't playing football for no. the rest of their career. They're done. That's what I go back to. Yep. So I'm going to I'm going to say it was more impressive to go 9 and 4 with Buckner and Pine than 10 and 3 with Hartman this year. Totally agree. I'm going to ask everybody on the show that question this week just to see if anybody goes with this year. Because I think there is an argument, but when I look at my quarterbacks last year to win 9 games against I think well, is it a tougher schedule? This year's schedule had heavy hitters and bottom feeders. Yeah. There wasn't much in the middle, if you know what I'm saying. Yep. Last year, maybe it was a little more balanced. Yeah. I can agree with that. Okay. All right. So I'll see what the rest of the panel says throughout the week. That could be a good Twitter question of the day for our listeners. Also, though, with the well. start of the season, when they did have some of those bottom feeders and they were playing really, really well to start out the year, let's face it, we all had the playoffs in sight, right? Yeah. Like that was, yeah. oh, it's it's true. We're right there. They're going to make it. And then for it to collapse the way it did, it was, that is disappointing, well, not impressive. The 2022 team didn't need a hot dog break to win a game either, <laughs> like this year's team. Now the hot dog that was impressive. It happened. I mean, come on, why can't we? It happened. Who cares about nutrition and all the analytics and the calories? It was hot dogs against NC State. We'll take a timeout. Twitter question of the day coming up next. Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett, with you on Sports Radio 960. This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Along with ABC 57's Allison Hayes, I'm Darren Pritchett at 557 here on WSBT Radio. We go back to Thursday, which was the last sports beat before the Sun Bowl game. We asked you the correct Notre Dame-Oregon State parlay. And 49% said Notre Dame minus six and over 41 and a half total points for the game. That was the correct answer. So the majority got it right. Good job, everybody. 39% went with Notre Dame winning by six or more and under 41 and a half. That looked like the winning pick throughout the game before the scoring picked up late. Only 8% took Oregon State plus six and over 41 and a half. And 4% went with Oregon State plus six and under 41 and a half. We thank you for voting on my Twitter X account at 960Sportsbeat. Now to today's question. We started this poll yesterday, and it's going to run till about 2 o'clock tomorrow, I believe. So during the Notre Dame offseason, the quarterback position should, and you fill in the blank. Choice number one, the quarterback position should belong to Riley Leonard. Choice number two, the quarterback position should belong to 
Steve Angeli. And choice number three, the quarterback position should feature a true quarterback competition. This will be debated up until spring practice begins. This is the first conversation. Allison, you get the first shot. Where is your thinking right now on this very important topic? Well, I feel that the job is probably Leonard's, uh, but I feel that Angeli proved that he needs a fair and legit competition. Not sure he'll actually get it, but I do think that he earned it. I I think he's done everything he's supposed to do, and he played well in that bowl game, and I think he's earned a a shot at an actual real competition. Hopefully they give it to him. Uh, But I do think that Riley Leonard is being brought here for a reason, and I think it is his job to lose. Hypothetically speaking, if Steve Angeli and the Sun Bowl went 12 for 24 with 135 yards, a touchdown, and a pick, would your answer be different? 100%. Would it? Okay. Yeah. That's why I was wondering how much of an influence the Sun Bowl was. Sure. Well, that's our only real yeah. gauge that we have for him. And if he came out and did that, I, yeah, I would not be impressed. And I would not want to see more of that. So. Uh, to see what he did. And again, his numbers were, were really good at what was he, 15 for 19, two th- yeah. 232 yards, and three touchdowns in the game against a defense that was legit, that was not depleted, that w- their starters were playing in that game. So it was not a, a backup quarterback playing up against backup defensive players, it was a backup quarterback playing against the starters on defense. So I thought he played well, and he deserves a shot. Obviously, Riley Leonard has the advantage. They brought him here not to be a backup. Sure. They brought him here to be the starter, like we said about Sam Hartman last year. But I'm in the category of true quarterback competition. I think it's really good for the football team. I didn't really feel like last year was a true competition between Hartman. No one did. So... I think it's good for both individuals to push each other during the spring. It gives you different options. We all know you normally need two quarterbacks at some point during a season. And and who knows, maybe Kenny Minchie takes another step and he beats out Steve Angel. I mean, there are so many different combinations. But you know what? I'm kind of okay with a quarterback competition, knowing that Leonard's probably going to come out on top. But to push these two guys and push the offense – I'm going to go that way as well. Well, and if he does come out on top, he earned it, right? I mean, and that's yeah. all you can ask. They they come in, and if you're the guy, you're going to win it outright. So let him come in and let him compete and give them both a fair shot at it and then see who comes out on top. If Angeli excels during the offseason and steals the job. That would be wild. Fantastic. <laughs> and wild. It would be. There's no doubt about it. One of the more expensive backup quarterbacks <laughs> in the country brought in from Duke. But I don't expect that to happen. No. But just hypothetically speaking, hey, it's good for everybody if he takes the next step. Maybe Steve Angeli after spring is the starting quarterback somewhere else, or maybe he's the number two here. Maybe Could he's he the number do that three. with the way the portal works? If he Eventually goes into another spring, window, there is. Yeah. Wow. So he could he transferred here. If he competes and he clearly loses, Leonard, you're talking about Leonard. Oh, oh, okay. Um, I'm not. I thought you were talking about Angeli. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. No, I thought you. I thought you said Leonard. No, no. I was talking about Angeli. He could be the he number could, two for or, sure. Yeah. Yes. I'm not going to give you a, a definitive answer. I'm going to have to Google not this. Sure. Well, Hartman <laughs> could have left. 
Okay. In fact, when he did an interview with Eric Hansen last summer, he was talking about, you know, I could have left, but I stuck oh, because around because Tommy of my Reeves. belief in Marcus Freeman and the players. Okay. So So then that would mean that Leonard would, in theory, have that same opportunity if he gets beat out. I'm assuming so, but I'm going to ask Eric tomorrow when he's on the show. <laughs> I'll get back to you because I don't okay. want to give you and everybody else sure, sure. the wrong answer in this hypothetical. All right, 602 is our time. Anything you want to promote right now at ABC 57? We're a little bit looking ahead to the future, but uh, we have two more tip-off shows coming up back-to-back on January 13th and 14th. Okay. Uh, both will be leading into uh, Notre Dame men and women's games. Also, just to throw it out there, I had the best experience uh, right before Christmas. We drove to West Lafayette. I'm working on a, a nice feature story on Notre Dame head coach Micah Shrewsbury and his relationship with Purdue head coach, Mm -hmm. Matt Painter, and they've worked together two different times at Purdue, and I kind of threw it out there. I know the SID at Purdue, and just at the last minute, hey, is there any chance I could, you know, talk to coach? And it's like, it doesn't have to be an elaborate one-on-one sit down, Uh, but I didn't want it to be like in a scrum or at a press conference. (laughs) He's like, yeah, come on out. We'll, We'll get them for you off to the side after practice. We arrive, number one team in the nation. Matt Painter comes out. They have this beautiful area where we can set up all the lights and chairs. So we ended up, it turned into this great interview. And then after we sat or finished up with the sit down, we, I was like, do you mind if we get a couple shots of us just kind of like walking down the hallway and talking? He's like, sure. Oh, right over here's the court. So we ended up going out onto the court. All of this is impromptu. And we, we do a a segment called fast break where it's kind of, we also have it red zone remix for football season. This is fast break for basketball, but they're kind of rapid fire, kind of off the wall questions. And just to kind of get to know you better you know type things he was so cool yeah. and so accommodating and we walked the court and and just chatted and it was a really great experience and just uh just a nice overall and it was shocking you would never know that they're the number one ranked team in the nation and he was that accessible and that easygoing a lot of individuals could learn from what you just said 100%. And, and dealing with the media and how communications are supposed to be and used to be yep So that's a wonderful story and tip of the cap. Boilermaker fans, you should be proud of your institution and and their athletic department for that type of access. And be on the lookout. I'll have that coming up really soon, and I'll I'll be sure to give you guys a heads up here on the radio to let you know when. But really good stuff from Matt Painter. Very good. Good to be with you. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Thank you much. That's ABC 57's Allison Hayes. I'm Darren Pritchett. Speaking of Micah Shrewsbury, he joins me live in about 25 minutes on WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. 15 minutes after 6 o'clock, Sports Beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, we've got a while to wait for that next Notre Dame football game, August 31st, when they go to Texas A&M. We only have one more college football game left, and that is the national championship game next Monday down in Houston, Texas. The top two seeds in the playoffs will meet, and it's number two, Washington, taking on number one, Michigan. What a terrific Rose Bowl game we had a chance to watch yesterday between the Wolverines and also the Crimson Tide, two of the winningest teams in college football history. 
Michigan, it looked like that they were going to pull away in the first half. Alabama was having all sorts of problems keeping that Michigan pass rush of Jalen Milrow. But Alabama, despite those deficiencies, they hung around in this game. Even though they were trailing at halftime, adjustments always big when you take on Alabama. And the tide came out and went more toward the running game in the second half, which I am surprised Tommy did not go more with that in the first half. They tried to beat Michigan with the passing game early on in the contest and didn't work out for the most part. It took that muff snap in order to give Alabama excellent territory uh, leading to the 34-yard touchdown run by Jace McClellan to give Alabama a 7-0 lead. But Michigan answered that touchdown drive ending on a 7-yard touchdown pass. J.J. McCarthy to Blake Corum tied the game at 7. Bama looked confused on a couple of the pass plays defensively. They might have been caught looking into the backfield. But Michigan had four sacks over the first four Alabama possessions. But then things started to change in the second half. Alabama got the ball first, and they were running the ball effectively, but two bad snaps stalled the drive. And that was a story in the game, the inability to snap the football correctly to quarterback Jalen Milrow. And on the final play of the game, that was a factor as well. But Alabama was very comfortable playing the field position game, and eventually they got the ball near midfield, You go into the fourth quarter, they get into the red zone, and they cash it in. McClellan, a three-yard touchdown run, capping off an eight-play, 55-yard drive. And Alabama, who looked exposed in the first half but took away the Michigan run game in the third quarter, changed the complexion of the game. They got the field position, and Bama got the lead 17-13. Michigan then, unable to respond, they went three and out. And it looked like Alabama there for a moment was going to take control of this game like they normally do. But with 12.47 to go in the game and Alabama in Michigan territory up for Milrow fumbled the football recovered by Michigan. Then Michigan went to the bag of tricks. Their flea flicker play misfired when the ball from Corum back to McCarthy was thrown low, throwing off the timing. McCarthy got hit. And he had a wide-open receiver down the field that could have been a big play. But instead, third and 17 at the Alabama 38-yard line. They had to settle for a field goal attempt. And James Turner, who had missed an extra point earlier, missed from 49. And Bama withstood that surge and still had a 17-13 lead. Bama then would get into field goal range. And Reichert hit from 52. It put him up 20-13 with 4.41 to play. And it looked like, again, Alabama had full control. Michigan, with 3.19 to play, had fourth and two from their own 33-yard line. They had three timeouts, so they did not have to go for it. But Jim Harbaugh pushed the envelope, and McCarthy hit Blake Corum in the flat. The running back was wide open, picked up a big, big chunk of yards. Now, there was a block in the back down the field, but the result of the play was a first down. And look what Michigan did. With everything on the line, they picked up 35 and 29 yards on back-to-back plays, 
first and goal from the five. Corum got one. And then Michigan went to the passing attack. McCarthy to Roman Wilson, four yards out. 134 to play. Extra point good. We had a 20-20 game. And then you had Michigan muffing the punt inside the five-yard line. That got interesting for a moment. But ultimately, Michigan got out of the end zone, tackled at the one, got it into overtime. And Michigan, it did not take them long. The second play, Corum, a 17-yard touchdown run. He's now the all-time touchdown leader in Michigan history, knocking Anthony Thomas out of the record books. Michigan up 27-20. Bama got inside the five-yard line and ultimately had fourth and goal at the Michigan three. Biggest call of Tommy Reese's career as Alabama offensive coordinator, They ended up going with a running play in which they motioned the running back out of the backfield, leaving Milrow, an excellent runner, all by himself. And I know there's a lot of people skeptical of the play call. If you look at it, there's a really good chance that play works, but the snap was low, and I think that threw off the timing in Milrow's eyes because there was two-on-two blocking left side of that offensive line. There was a hole for him to run through, but I think the snap just absolutely took away his vision, and he ran straight ahead, got pulled down immediately, and Michigan, what a comeback to get it into overtime and then got it done in the extra session. Michigan 27, Alabama 20. You watch that Michigan football team, and offensively, they had some struggles in this game. Bama has a really, really good defense, but at the end of the day, Michigan has a really, really good football team, and it's a reminder that they don't really need to cheat. Now, I know Michigan's not the only one that are stealing signs, but they went above and beyond. I'm not sure how many teams across the country are sending or allegedly sending people to other stadiums to videotape opposing signals, but they don't need to do that because they have an awesome football team and they have a chance to win their first national title since 1997 when they take on the Washington Huskies and kind of a rematch of 1991 when Washington won their last national championship credit to the Huskies their defense gives up a lot of yards and a lot of points but just like throughout the season against Texas last night when the game was on the line that defense stepped up and was able to shut the door. Texas had a chance with a pass thrown into the end zone to win the game as time expired, but it was broken up beautifully. And Washington knocked off Texas 37-31. to Michael Penix Jr. got away from Indiana, of course, went out to Washington and became a superstar. As Alice and I talked about in the first hour, the chemistry between Penix and those great wide receivers, Polk, second to none in college football. Their running back got dinged up. That's a concern going forward. But that offensive line's the Joe Moore Award winner. And with all the talk about Texas defensive line and their big nose guard sweat, I was surprised Washington did not get more respect in this game. I was shocked they were the underdog. I took the points. And Washington, because I thought they were the better football team, probably the money line might have been the smarter play. But the Huskies, all season long, when anyone doubts them, they come through in the clutch to win close ball games. They escaped Oregon a couple of times. 
They had a late close call against their rival Washington State, and every time they find a way to get it done. And Michael Penix, who beat Michigan as the quarterback of Indiana, in fact, he beat him by double digits down in Bloomington a few years ago, gets another shot. I think Michigan's around a four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-point favorite against Washington Monday night. It kind of feels like destiny for Michigan to win after all the scrutiny. They win the title. Jim Harbaugh says goodbye to his alma mater, takes the Los Angeles Chargers job where he was a quarterback. Well, he was a Charger quarterback, but he was in San Diego. You get to work with Justin Herbert. It's tough to take an NFL job when you don't have a starting quarterback, and Herbert is a young guy that Harbaugh can work with. So it just seems like everything's going to fall into place. Michigan wins. Harbaugh leaves, goes to the NFL, and then who knows who Michigan takes I know Trace Armstrong, Brian Kelly's agent, is known for getting Brian's name out there, and there's already speculation. I like what someone reported. He may not be a fit at LSU, and I think all Notre Dame fans could have maybe told that story a long time ago. Is Brian Kelly really a candidate at Michigan if Harbaugh goes? We'll wait and see. That's a pretty good job to leave, but a lot of great tradition at Michigan as well, where his old defensive line coach, Mike Elston, has a chance to win a national championship as Wolverine defensive line coach. All right, so Monday night, 7.30 here on WSBT Radio, the national championship game, the Washington Huskies and the Michigan Wolverines. Next year, it's a Big Ten regular season game. How times have changed. Final game for the Pac-12, Washington in the championship game. Coming up in a couple of moments, I'll be joined by Notre Dame basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury. Irish coming off a huge win over Virginia. They've got NC State coming to town tomorrow. That conversation coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Booth, left wing in front of the Virginia bench. Bounce pass to Jai straight away. Dribbles towards the wing, off to Burton. Clean look at three, hoists it up and buries it. 13 to nothing as Burton drills the three. Nine on the timer. Hands it off to Konezny. Shot clock's down to six. He's guarded by McNeely. Puts his back to the basket. Hoists up a mid-range. And Konezny from 15 feet on the left side of the lane knocks it down. Final seconds will wind off the clock. They all come to their feet here in Purcell Pavilion. And for good reason. Notre Dame has their first marquee win under Micah Shrewsbury, a dominant 76-54 victory over Virginia. That was Tony Simeone on the call right here on WSBT Radio December 30th as Notre Dame beat the Virginia Cavaliers 76-54. I'm Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to Sportsbeat here on WSBT Radio, and we'll have the call of Notre Dame, North Carolina State tomorrow night at 9 o'clock here on WSBT Radio. And the first-year head coach of the Fighting Irish, Micah Shrewsbury, joins me right now live here on WSBT Radio. Coach, first off, Happy New Year to you. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you so much, Coach. And again, greatly appreciate your time. 76-54, the victory over Virginia. Coach, this team has been so difficult to play for so many years under Tony Bennett, the world-famous pack line defense. You guys were able to shoot extremely well, in particular in the first half against the Cavaliers, and put up 76. 
What was key for you going into this game in order for your team to have success against this Virginia defense? I thought uh, our guys, you know, first of all, I thought our, our assistant coaches put together a, ga- a great game plan um, with how we needed to guard them, but how we needed to attack them. And our guys throughout the week really did those things, really worked on them as we were doing them to see uh, what it would should look like. And then, you know, once they got in the game and they could see it working, you could see the confidence just building and growing. So, um, I think our preparation was, was great and our guys really executed the plan. Um, and then we, we attacked them the right way and we won. we talked about our shot profile and attacking the paint, trying to get to the rim and shooting open uncontested threes. And I thought we got those. You've got a freshman point guard in Marcus Burton, who we had the pleasure to enjoy at Penn High School for four years. And I remember talking to you this summer about getting Marcus ready for this year. And and you talked about there was going to be a learning curve for Marcus going from Penn to ACC basketball. Could you describe, Coach, Marcus's transition over the last few weeks? I thought the South Carolina game, they really challenged him. They they kept him out of the paint. How he's adjusted to facing some of these defenses and at times guys that are a few inches taller than him. You know, it, it's for a freshman, and this is your first time through um, really, really major college basketball. Um, there's There's – different things in different games that he has to adjust to. And now I think the more games that he plays, the more defenses that he's seen, um, different ways that people try and guard him, he's learning from those experiences. And now you have something to kind of draw back on of how, you know, now we can talk about like, hey, North Carolina State is going to guard how South Carolina did or Virginia is going to guard how Miami did. And he has something to go back to. And, and think about, you know, early in the year, we couldn't say, hey, Auburn's going to guard the, the same way that South Bend, Washington is, right? It's completely different. Um, <laughs> but now he can go back to his database of, of preparation and games and now watch those other games, see what he did well, see what he didn't do, do, uh, do as well, and then grow in those areas. Coach, he just looks like a player that's not fearless out there. He's not afraid of the big moment. If you didn't know anything about Notre Dame basketball, I think at times watching him in play, it's like, well, he doesn't seem like a guy that's only played a couple of college games. Yeah, that's right. I think he's doing a really good job of, of listening um, to to what the staff is, is saying and, and trying to teach him. Uh, but also, he's putting in a lot of time on his own to, to continue to grow as a player and get better and, and work on the areas that he's excelling in, but work on the areas that he's also struggling in. So he's better each time that he steps on, out onto the court. Notre Dame basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury, my guest on WSBT Radio. Coach, it's kind of interesting. I'm trying to get into the analytics. I've been around baseball. I've seen those numbers. But the Irish hockey team has started to give me analytics for my broadcast. And there's so many things to look at. But it's interesting. We have trouble scoring goals. But the stats show we're doing everything else we need to do to have a chance to score a goal. We're just not scoring. I'm curious from a basketball standpoint, the team's shooting around 40% from the field. Is the process 
coming along to the point where you're getting the shots you're looking for and maybe now they're just going to start falling here over the next few games in fact they started to fall in that Virginia game yeah I think so um, but we've also as we go through each game we talk about our shot profile as a team and not really as individuals but as a team this is these are the kind of shots that we're looking for and here's how we try and get to those shots or here's how we can attack this team to get an opportunity to get those shots. And now it's just about executing what we need to do. So um, I felt like, you know, we made shots in, in the last game against Virginia, but they were also more open, uncontested looks. I think going into that game, 60% of our three point attempts were contested, right? So, Let's not shoot those contested shots. Let's try and keep probing the defense, working the defense to try and get an uncontested look somehow or try and get a, a shot in the paint or try and get a shot in the rim or try and get to the free throw line. So let's narrow some of those shots and shoot more of the ones that we're having success on. Coach, I'm wondering, have you gotten the response you were looking for after your strong comments after the Citadel game? Yeah, I think since that game, our, our team has really come together. Our team has gotten closer. I think our our whole program has gotten closer. And that that's everybody that, that's associated with that, whether that's coaches, trainers, managers, whoever it may be, I think our whole group has gotten closer because um, we're holding each other a lot more accountable, right? which we needed some of that. We needed a little bit of tough love to like have some tough conversations that we had after that game of what each person can do better, how we can improve. And then we bought into those things. So um, our group has really come together. We're really starting to challenge each other, trying to make each other better. Um, so yeah, since that time, I think we've gotten closer as a group. Coach, I can only imagine bringing in so many new parts into one team that building leadership in the locker room or allowing the players to kind of own that locker room takes a little time. Are you starting to see some strong voices develop in the locker room, in the huddle and on the floor? I think we do. And that's from a lot of different people. You have, you know, guys that are, that are older, like, like a Matt Zona that's, um, you know, been through college basketball now for four years using his voice uh, a lot more. You have, guy like Marcus Burton, who's a freshman, um, but is, is your point guard and has the ball in his hands a lot. Like he's starting to use his voice more, but then you have other guys, Keba Jai, Julian Roper, a lot of different guys are kind of stepping up and, and using their voices and kind of leading. So we really have a kind of leadership by committee group. Coach, since you moved Corey Booth into the starting lineup, the last couple of games, are you getting what you were looking for in making that move? Yeah, I think, you know what, Kerry's been playing great. He's he's had a couple of really good games where he's um, really playing with great energy uh, on both ends of the court. And I think, you know, to start the, the Maris game in his first start, you know, to be able to get some offensive rebounds early in the game to kind of help set the tone with that. Uh, but then, you know, against Virginia, making outside shots or driving and getting rebounds or helping us protect the rim. Uh, he, he's doing a great job of that. Now, you know, really continuing that, right? He's, he's going to have to guard a bunch of different people and understanding the um, nuances of, of our defense and 
like who he's guarding, whether that's a perimeter base guy or a post base guy. So he's probably had the toughest transition uh, because he's learning a few different positions, right? That's, you know, where his maybe development has been a little bit slower on the defensive end, just because he's had having to guard a bunch of other people where some people just have to really think about one guy. He's having to think about a lot of different areas and, you know, as he's gotten more and more comfortable, now he's not thinking anymore. Now he's just really out there playing, and that allows him to play off instincts. Coach, I think those of us in the community know Marcus Burton, but we also know J.R. Konezny, who had a great career at South Bend St. Joe. He's been waiting here at Notre Dame for a couple of years, sat out last year. I'm just wondering, since you've gotten to know him, how his strength and conditioning has helped him and also how he's evolved offensively because, you know, I got to be honest, I wasn't quite sure how good offensively he was going to be at the collegiate level, but he has surpassed my expectations. I'm not a coach. What do I know? But he has looked so smooth out there on the offensive end of the floor. You know, he, he's just keeping the game simple. And that, that's the biggest thing that he's doing. He's playing extremely hard. He, he's emptying his tank um, every time that he steps out on the course. Uh, but then he's just keeping the game really simple on offense. He's shooting open shots when he has them. He's driving closeouts. He's getting to the to the paint. When he gets around the basket and around the paint, he's playing off two feet and playing under control, and he's scoring it or making passes. And then I think that's what you want all your guys to do, right? That's how you want all your guys to play. And he's playing really under control. And I think you know, with the joy that he plays with, with how hard he plays. Um, you know, he deserves the success that he's having. Coach, as this team continues to grow this year, do you have something in mind that is the next step for this group? I think continuing to grow offensively, um, learning how people are guarding us and being able to attack them uh, without losing our defensive edge, and which we've which we've had and, and uh, which has helped us kind of stay in game. So we need to continue to guard at a high level while also playing a little bit better offensively. And, you know, that'll happen, you know, if we, we have to take care of the ball better. I think as a group, you know, we've all really focused on that. And that's an area where we need to grow, which will help us become a better offensive team. What should Irish fans expect with NC State coming to town? Well, I, I just mentioned it, but that's going to be the number one most important thing is we got to take care of the ball. They're one of the best teams in the country at turning people over. Um, they they really pressure the basketball. They get in passing lanes. They throw a bunch of different defenses at you. Um, so we're going to have to be good handling the ball and, and making sure we're getting good shots uh, because if we're turning over, then they get out in transition and they're really good in transition. So we have to make them play in the half court. Uh, but they got really capable players that can do it. DJ Burns is an unbelievable post player, one of the – the, the a really good post score, but one of the best post passers that I've seen in a long time. Uh, but then their three guards are fantastic, and DJ Horn is a is a great, great one of the most elite shooters that we've played so far. So making sure he's not getting open catch and shoot threes and, and Burns scoring around the basket. So it's a tough challenge for us, a tough task, and uh, our guys should be up for it. Coach, one final question for you. I know you went viral with your dance moves, celebrating with the team after the Virginia game. I'm imagining you got those moves from mom and dad and maybe not from Coach Painter or Coach Stevens. Hey, that was a um, 
you know what, when, when you win a game like that, like the, the feelings and emotions just take over and that that's just what it was. And, you know, a, a chance to just celebrate with the guys for all their hard work. And, uh, we're just having fun with it, and we want to celebrate every victory, no matter what they look like. If it's 20 points or if it's one point, we want to celebrate celebrate every victory because winning's hard, um, and it's hard to win. So when you do, um, you have fun. Coach, thanks so much for doing this the night before you take the floor against North Carolina State. And I know another good crowd's going to be out there at Purcell Pavilion to watch you take on the Wolfpack. So thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it, and best of luck against North Carolina State. Thank you. We're looking forward to it, and we need another great crowd to, to really help spur us on against this good team. Coach, thank you. Go Irish. Go Irish. That's Micah Shrewsbury, the head coach of the Fighting Irish. Notre Dame taking on NC State. Get your tickets at fightingirish.com. You can hear the game with Tony Simeone on the call tomorrow night, 8.30 pregame, 9 o'clock tip. Sportsbeat continues in just a moment on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 